Um, those of you who don't know me, uh, a lot of you do, my name is Paul King Brown. Um, this used to be my church. So when I come here, it's a bit like a homecoming. Half of you have no idea who I am, the others uh, are happy to see me and the others are not. Um, but I'm always, I always have a little bit of butterflies when I come here because it's like coming home and I feel like I've got to be good for you or something like that. I don't know what goes on. But um, I was thinking about what to say at the beginning and, uh, and then Sunday was talking about you know, how lucky we are to just wake up in the morning. And we hear that. We hear that. And if you're alive, it seems a ridiculous thing to say. Yeah, okay, but I had three people this week, three people connected to me that, um, that died or I went to some sort of... Uh, on Sunday, one of my best friends uh, three years ago died. He, was, uh, he died on his birthday, September 13th, and he was 50, he was my boss, and we all went around the table and we sat down. I'm not depressing you, it was a good time, we had a great time. It was a great time, we talked and it was like really good conversation, and it was phenomenal. And then a friend of mine from Italy phoned and he's on holiday, and her mother died, she was there, and her mother died 10 days. Uh, her mother died. Like my mic. Is it okay? And then um, I got a call on Thursday, just about coming here to do some practice down here, and somebody I'd worked with for 20 years, um, and uh, their husband died, and he worked for the company as well, and I was there until 4 o'clock uh, this morning, just talking to them, and what we were doing, we were just telling stories, we were just telling stories of stories about other people and stories and we laughed a lot in these situations we do laugh a lot and you know in the bible it says that in matthew 5 it says that we are salt i don't know if you ever read it it says you are salt and if and i presume that i'm speaking to christians so i'm gonna and if you're not but what they, what the bible says is that we ought to be salt and the bible also says that we ought to be light and so this week was I've had a great week in one way, but a very depressing week in another way. But the commonality in all of these situations was that everybody seemed to be searching for something. Uh, my boss, who uh, did not believe in God whatsoever, but all the, everybody's there, they all sort of zoom in on me. I mean, like, I'm, I'm with the church now. I used to work, and they all want to ask questions, and they, sometimes they argue and they disagree. But somewhere inside them, they're searching. C.S. Lewis says that, uh, that we're built with a God-shaped hole. And God has designed us with this hole. And he says that um, we spend our existence being independent, doing whatever we want, trying to fill this hole with things like sex, drugs, other people, relationships, whatever it is, whatever your habit is. But he says that we're only happy and this hole can only be filled by God. That's what he says. And if you're around people in different varying situations, you will find out that when their belief system, whatever it is, when there is no hope, they will come to you. Because maybe you are the only glimmer of hope that is left in their life. But that isn't my sermon. My sermon, I didn't know that Julian was going to be here, but my sermon is about news. Because I'm obsessed with news. I don't know whether you're obsessed with news. I'm obsessed with the internet. Anybody obsessed with this? Is it only me? I'm on the internet. I'm terrible. I'm on BBC. I'm on CNN. I'm reading everything. I've now got all the newspapers, and it's just ridiculous. It's just news, 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 news. It's now, you know, Gil Scott Heron said that the revolution will not be televised. And I remember someone else later on said that was before CNN. Because now news is news, is news, is news. Before it happens, as it's happening, we get news. And I'm obsessed with news. 
I remember when I was growing up, we weren't allowed, I was brought up in a very Christian, very strict, uh, disciplined, no fun environment, and um, we couldn't have music in our house. We had news, LBC. I don't know if you remember, LBC, 24-hour radios, on and on and on and on and on and on and on. We had news, and sometimes you recognise, I don't know if you listen to news channels, but news is boring, because it's always the same. I listen to 909 on the... It's like, you know, something happens. Somebody do something. But I'm obsessed with news. I don't know whether you're obsessed with newspapers. I used to be obsessed with newspapers. What I used to do, I used to go down, get there early, pick up the newspaper and start reading it. And then my dad used to come down and go crazy. Because in his house, he read the newspaper first. I don't know if you had this in your house. He reads the newspaper first. I didn't understand what this meant. I thought he was just being selfish until it was my house. And no one, I hated when I went through the newspaper and someone had been there before me. You know, you'd see a boiled egg stain or something. You're like, that's not good news. So I used to get rid of that. But I'm obsessed with news. The best time to do news is when you're actually on the tube or on the train. I don't know if you've done this. And I love watching people try to read other people's news. You ever do that? And that's really, really funny because they always try to read it. And, like they, and they, it's all the tactics they do. So they think they're not doing it, like, you know, like their eyes or they're leaning over or whatever. And what I do, because I hate people reading my newspaper, I hate people reading my news, is that I read the same page for ages. <laughs> I just do that. I'm not reading it. I'm not reading it. I'm not reading it. I can just wait until you stop looking because I don't want you to look at my paper because I'm obsessed with news. In Matthew 10, um, there's a story about this woman. And don't go to Matthew 10, that's not where I'm going to be. But Matthew 10, a story about Jesus heals a woman. And then she has a, they call it the woman with an issue. And then after that, he heals two blind men. And when he heals these two blind men, he says to them, I need you to do me a massive favour. They go, okay, fine. Can you do me a massive favour, he says. He says, okay. So he says, can you please not tell anybody? Okay, fine, no problem. And so the story goes, actually they totally ignored Jesus and they told everybody, everybody in the region and it says that his fame spread everywhere. In Mark 2 we have a similar story, we have a similar story about leprosy where Jesus comes up, he heals a leper and he says to him, can you do me a massive favour? Yeah, of course, anything, you've just healed me. Can you do me a massive, can you do this for me? Please. He says, can you not tell anybody anything? They go, yeah, okay, fine. They get out of his sight, and then they're telling news. They are going crazy. Thank you. Is this not working then? No, it's not working. Okay, it doesn't matter. I think they can hear me. Thank you very much. You have a little cameo of this with Jesus at the wedding, in where he, he tries to say to his mother, his mother says, look, just go and get him. He'll do this. He'll change the water into wine. And he's going like, shh, mum, just keep it down on the download. Please don't tell anybody. You see, as you look for this, I don't know whether you've noticed this little trend in the Bible, but it's actually impossible to suppress good news. It's impossible. I don't know whether you've tried it. In Luke 15, there's all these stories. There's a genre. It's called the genre of the lost. There's a lost coin. Uh, there's a lost sheep. And then ultimately, there's a lost son, which we call the prodigal son. And then the woman finds a coin. And then she, she's so happy that she's found the coin. She doesn't put it in her pocket. What she does is that she has a party because it seems as though it's impossible to suppress good news. And because of the time, I'm going to quickly go through. Because in Acts 4, which is where my sermon is based, there is this story. There's a story 
If you open your Bibles to Acts 4, Acts 4, there's a story of Peter and John. And Peter and John are in this situation. And the situation that they're in is that they are before a council. And they're very disturbed. And people are very disturbed because Peter and John have healed a lame man who's been lame for 40 years. So he's been there. They know him. Every day they walk past. I used to walk past Euston Tube. And I knew that every day the same beggar, he was a Chinese guy, an older guy, he'd be there every day. For eight years, this guy was there. So imagine for 40 years, there is this guy that has been there. And Peter and John heal him. And they tell him, and he says, listen, how did you do this? And they go, well, you know, I don't know if you know, but there was this guy called Jesus, and actually, you crucified him. And you think he's dead. But we're here to tell you that he's not dead. He's actually very much alive. He's resurrected. And what you see here, the guy you've passed by for 40 years, the guy that you've ignored for 40 years, we have healed him. Now, these people are going nuts. The council are going crazy because the Pharisees politically think they've done away with the Jesus issue. The Jesus issue is done. Politically, no more. The Sadducees are going like, hold on a minute. Theologically, we know there is no life after death. We know that. So you telling us about resurrection, this is ridiculous. But then the council, are, the council are really mixed up because these people have no education. They have no formal education, yet they're powerful. And the Bible says that they are standing there and they are bold. And the Bible also says that they recognise them as men that had been with Jesus. I used to work at the company that I was talking about earlier. And one day a woman, her name was Julia Horrocks, she came into my office. And I have to be honest with you, Julia and I did not get on very well. But I was her boss. And so she came in to see me. And she came in to see me in a lot later in my life, not at the beginning. And she came in and she started telling me her problems. And she was very distraught with her problems. And, um, and I didn't have no idea what to do. And I said to her, listen, shall we pray about it? So I didn't have any solutions. And she went, yeah, okay, fine. And we prayed. And she left the office. She came in my office, 2 o'clock, knocked on the door, because I was only working there for two days, and I was at Newbold College studying theology the other days. And she said to me, I've got to sit down and talk to you. She said, I said, yeah. She said, fine. She said, um, I'm a bit surprised by your behavior this morning, she said. I said, really? I thought I was helping. She said, yes, you did help. She said, but when we always worked, you were ruthless. Actually, I don't like you. You are just a, not a very nice person. But she said, since you've been going to this college thing, um, you've changed. It's like, oh, right, okay, thank you. And she walked out the door, she closed the door, and I was like, she was a bit right, really. She was. What happened was that in the period of time that she knew me, Jesus had come into my life. And Jesus comes into your life. There's this Old Testament theology that says, let me build a temple that I may dwell among them. But then there's a New Testament theology that says that God wants to dwell in you. And when he's in you, the attributes of that person comes out. Parents have this whole thing. It's a, it's a West Indian saying, well, actually, if you're a Jamaican parentage, Jamaicans think that they invented every single saying and everybody else adopted it. So I'm going to say it's a Jamaican saying, and you understand what I mean. It's a Jamaican saying. Don't, don't, don't knock it. Show me your friends, and I'll show you who you are. I'm sure the Greeks probably did it first, but you know, who knows? Jamaicans were probably there. But, and so that's what it is. 
The council saw that these people were with Jesus. They didn't say, oh, Jesus the person. They, had, they were scared because they had the attributes of Jesus Christ. And the reason I'm talking about this is that when they say to Peter, look, we want you to do me you a massive favour. I want you to shut up. I want you to be quiet. Peter says, no way. There is no way you are shutting me up. I was with Jesus Christ. I was challenged by Jesus Christ. I asked challenging questions of Jesus Christ. I was in a mountain of transfiguration with Jesus Christ. I went walking with Jesus Christ. Actually, I went walking on water for a little bit with Jesus Christ. And there is no way... Actually, I was in a garden with Jesus Christ. I was on a boat with Jesus Christ. There is no way you can get me to shut up because it's impossible to suppress good news. It's impossible. Peter says, after all I've seen and after all I have heard, how can I shut up? So what have you seen? What have you heard? You're Christians. Some of you were baptised. I saw you voting. What have you seen? What have you heard? What has God done for you that you are not telling? Because after all you've seen in your own life, in your quiet life, after when you look back at your life, because I was reading this book about Joseph, and it's called, oh, it's called looking, it's something about looking back. Yeah, looking at your life backwards. Sometimes we look at our life and we can't see anything, but when you look back over your life, when you look a year ago, when you look two years ago, when you suddenly see the footprints and the hand of God, you might not see it now, you might be in this dark place, but when you've seen where he is, when you've seen where he's been, when you've seen what he's done, when he's seen what he's given you, what he's seen when you have nothing, how he's protected you, how can you be silent? Because it's impossible to suppress good news. Peter and John refused to be silent. So after all you've seen in your life, you know, ask yourself the question, don't tell me. After all you've heard, how can you be silent? I kept silent once. It'll always remain with me. My father-in-law was ill. He was in a hospice. Some of you know him, David Paley, he died a few years ago. And I was in this hospice, and one day I walked into the hospice, and when I walked into the hospice, there was this guy right opposite, and this guy looked healthy. He looked like I'd just been on holiday, and he was there, and Dave was there. And I said to Dave, I said, like, what, what's that guy in for? And he said, oh, this guy's on holiday, and he's having all these pains, and he just went to the doctor, and I told him he had cancer, and uh, he's got a few months or whatever to live, and he's in the hospital. This guy looks so healthy. He looked like, he could have been one of those bouncers on the door. He looked fit. He was there. And I was, he was, Dave was telling me the information. I'm going like, no, 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 forget it. And I used to go in the evenings, very late in the evenings to the hospice. And, uh, um, and I remember the first time I came out of the hospice, I came to the door, and he was, there was a wife that was there with him all the time. And, but she seemed really strong. But when she was at the door, she just cried. She cried her eyes out. And I remember something in my brain, and I would attribute it to God, saying, why don't you just go and pray with her? And I went, I don't just go and pray with strangers. You know, forget it. 
So I, she was praying. I sort of didn't want to disturb her in her prayer. And I went through and I um, went to my car. Three days later, I saw this guy, a big guy. Again, he wasn't as big. You could, it, was, it was more the worry than the physicalness of it to him. And um, this went on. And I, and I saw this woman about three other times. And every time this woman was in the corridor, she was crying. I don't want to interfere because, you know, we have my space now. So we don't, that's her space. I'm going to walk by. And I went and I didn't do anything. And a few months later, he died. The reason I'm telling you that story is that it stayed with me because I was silent. Because I was silent. There is something about our silence that defines us. I now refuse to ever be silent again. Simon Wiesenthal wrote a book called The Sunflower. Some of you may read, read this book. Simon Wiesenthal was a, a Nazi a criminal hunter, and he wrote this book called The Sunflower. And in this book, he tells of a story where he was in, in a prison camp, and he was on the bed of a, of a Nazi uh, soldier that was about to die who confessed everything he'd done. And I don't want to tell you what he did because it was awful what he did. And, but the thing was that he asked for forgiveness from Simon Wiesenthal, who was Jewish, and Simon Wiesenthal just got up and he walked away. And that might not be important to you because the Nazi um, soldier might have deserved it. But the thing was that Simon Wiesenthal was so traumatised by the fact that he walked away that he wrote the book, The Sunflower, and then he wrote the book again. He wrote the book again, and the reason he wrote the book again is that he asked 50 prominent people like Bono and the Dalai Lama and people that he thought was important was he right to walk away? Peter is defined by silence. He knows what it's like to be silent. He's done the silent thing. He's done the denial thing. He's done it. He has said nothing. He has gone, I don't know this guy. And so he gets a second chance. And he decides that he is going to refuse to be silent. He gets a second chance and he decides, I'm never, ever, ever, ever not going to tell the good news. Because for him, it's impossible. It's impossible to suppress good news. I'm telling you this as a church parallel. Because that is what the definition of Christianity is. Some of you may think the definition of Christianity is that you turn up on a specific day and you come here and between 11 and 1 or whatever the time it is, you come and you do your thing and we have a great worship experience. You listen to someone speak, we sing some songs, we go home and it is done. But that is not Christianity. Christianity takes just a little bit more. Christianity is just a bit where Jesus has encountered your life or is encountering your life, or is shown your life, and the fact if you've been here for more than 10 years, you've got to be excited about it. At this point, you've got to be going, yes! I don't know whether you know me very well. I mean, uh, Pastor Eglin Brooks, uh, uh, one of our ministers, is here, and I remember playing football with him, and he's a brilliant footballer. Brilliant footballer. I'm saying he's a brilliant footballer because I remember when I thought I was good, I thought I was good. I went to play football against this church called Tottenham, and he was in the team. And he was so good, I decided I don't want to play football ever again. <laughs> he was that good. And then in November, I was in Debron, and we were playing football again. And I made sure that I was on his team. 
and he was in goal and I was forward and they couldn't get past us. But the reason they couldn't get past us is I knew that if they got past me, they couldn't get past him. Because he's that good. Now the thing, reason I'm telling you that and the reason you smiled and was, is that there's a passion. We had a passion for it. I play basketball and anybody that knows me, if Uriel's here, he knows how annoying I am when it comes to basketball. I am terrible. I have, if you live in my house, there he is, he's smiling. It's like, I'm terrible. I mean, I've got games. I watch it on Sky. I get it delivered from America. I'm a basketball fan. I play. I'm like, if you want to talk to me and be in my life, you've got to get basketball. I'm sorry. That's the way it is. And it's annoying and it's terrible. And I cannot stop talking about it. There was even an American that I met and I knew his home team better than himself. He went, wow, you like basketball, don't you? You're just like, you're just too much. You're just too much. But that is what our Christianity ought to be about. And so Peter and John are doing something. And what they're doing is this. Is that they come out of the prison. They're let go. They come in. They meet their friends. They meet their family. And then something unique takes place. You see, in Adventist uh, theology, uh, we always think about, we have this thing about the time of trouble. Time of trouble. Time of trouble. And what we want to do is not get to the time of trouble. Really. Because who wants trouble? Not many of us. We don't really want trouble. But Peter and John pray the prayer. If you put the text up for me. They pray this prayer. And they don't pray, please deliver me. And don't let it happen again. Please don't do this. Please don't do that. What they pray for is they pray for courage. They pray. They go, do you know what, God? I've been through here. I've been through here. Let's read it. It says in this, let's go from verse 27. Let's go from verse 27. Because you sort of... No, no, sorry, 28. Is it 28? Go, go, go. 29. And now, O Lord, hear their threats and give us, your servants, great boldness in preaching your word. Stretch out your hand with healing power. May miraculous signs and wonders be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. After this prayer, the, meet, the meeting place shook and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Then they preached the word of God with boldness. I'm going to tell you something, church. I need to tell you something. What you need to understand is this. Some of you may think you need to be more qualified. Some of you may need, think that you need something. There's something lacking in your life. I need to go to college. I need to go. Some people in my church want to have evangelistic school. And I think, okay, fine. Uh, we can have evangelistic school. That's okay. But what we need, and the only thing you need, is boldness. And we get that not of ourselves. You may think, okay, let's go through this situation. You may think that I'm standing here and, you know, I'm walking around and I'm using my voice and you may think, oh, Mr. Confident. But what you don't realise is that I hate standing in front of people. I don't really find it that comfortable. I'll tell, you what I, I'll tell you what I do know, though, is that when you connect with the Holy Spirit, when you just decide, okay, you do it, God, and you go, okay, I'm just going to fly with it, that he gives you boldness. And he places you in places that you would never, ever, ever, ever be. And that's what you need, that's what I need, as a church, as people. Because you have influence. John Maxwell talks about this idea of leadership as influence. He talks about the idea that wherever you are is where you can influence. I don't know, I don't know if you've got this, I work with people like this. Um, nine o'clock, it's happy. 9.01, boss walks in, cloud. You ever work with one of those people? Yeah. Cloud, 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 cloud. 11 o'clock, goes to Lou, happy. 15 minutes, let's have a laugh, let's have a laugh, let's have a laugh, laugh. Don't do that, don't do that, don't do that. Oh, but comes back. No, don't, head down. 
You ever work with one of those? You, ever one of those? you can have that influence too. You have this power of the Holy Spirit, Jesus Christ inside of you. And some of you know you have it. Some of you have it where people walk, you walk in the room and they stop telling their jokes. Or they behave in a different way. Or they, or they tell you the joke, but they apologise before. They go, I know you don't like this one and I shouldn't say it, but this is really good. And they tell you the not, not joke or whatever it is. When you have Jesus Christ connected to you, you can be bold. You can be a church of love. Maybe you think that you don't have it inside you, and a lot of us, we don't. But it's amazing what God does when he's connected to you. You'd be looking back going like, did I do that? Did I do that? There's a story. There's a story about... Um, they want to come in? Okay, no, no. There's a story about a lady who's at an old people's home. And um, I don't know if you've been in old people's homes, but this particular lady, she wasn't very nice. And in our country, in England, we're really good at sending people to the seaside away so our old people are away from us and we don't look after our young people. They're not part of our, our family. And so she was in an old people's home. And she wasn't very nice, so the nurses stayed away from her. But this one particular nurse decided, OK, I'm going to give her a chance. I'll give her a chance. So, so she gave her a chance, and she listened to her story. And then she discovered that she was a really nice lady and that she had lots of stories to tell, and she had done lots of things of significance in her life. And one evening, when the nurse was leaving, uh, the old lady said to her, can you do me a favour? She said, yeah, anything. She said, really, I really need you to do me a favour. I said, OK, no problem. She said, um... Can you put your arms around me and pretend that you love me? Okay. So she, the lady was facing this way and she put her arms around her like this. I love you. I love you. And pulled her arms away. She went home. Very bizarre situation. Two days later, exactly the same time of night, the lady said, listen, I really need a massive favour. But now she knew what was going to come. She said, can you do me a massive favour? Can you just put your arms around me and pretend that you love me? I love you. I love you. This kept going on for a while. And then one night she came in and she was leaving and she said, listen, can you do me a massive favour? Can you put your arms around me? Just pretend that you love me. So she put her arms around her. She said, I know, I know, I know you're not pretending. Imagine if you were a church of boldness that didn't pretend, that didn't pretend, that the community, that everywhere knew that wherever there were issues in their life, they could come to the parallel service because the people here are genuine. They are genuine. Everywhere else I need to pretend. I need to put my mask on at work. But here, right here, is love. Thank you.